A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hi, welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. I'm Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts. We are just two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. And here we are. Here we are. Podcasting once again. At your dining room table. Not on a desert island. Not on a desert island. we established (laughs) in our most recent mini episode. (laughs) Someone in the Facebook group pointed out that now that Michelle Obama has a Netflix deal... Oh, we would have been interviewed on her Netflix show. I mean, show it's per, possible. If you don't know what we're talking about, in mini episode 20, a listener called in with a voicemail thought experiment in which we were stranded on a desert island and Michelle Obama was one of the people who yep. rescued us. It was a very complex question. Indeed, it truly was. Um, but in it, we envisioned ourselves podcasting on a desert island. And instead, we are here at my dining room table. Dory, how's it going? Kate, you know, it's going. Um, I I woke up this morning and I realized that I had an excuse to take a shower. 
because we were seeing because we other? were seeing each other and we have a guest coming in yeah and then i have to go uh do this other thing and i was like okay i'm gonna shower and put on makeup and dry mm-hmm. my hair and put on like real clothes you look great thank you i did compliment your eyeliner you did thank you thank you and did you notice that it felt good to like put on your face. I don't want to say not put only, on your face, but you know what I mean. I do. And not only did it feel good, I really felt more like myself. Interesting. And I think that like, I, I, I think I said this when I started working from home that I knew that one of the things I needed to do was like get up and take a shower and like be like a real person every day. And I haven't been that great about doing it. I think in part because it's been so hot like yeah, I haven't left the house that like much. Yeah. yeah. And I've been wearing sort of like lots of billowy clothing just cause it's so hot. <laughs> and, it's very hot, you here. know, and, and it, and I think that has made me kind of lazy about, uh, all these kind of, uh, self maintenance things. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's okay. Would you like one of our water bottles on the table? Oh, I'm okay. okay. Thank you. How are you doing? You know, I am doing very well. I made the journey through my birthday. You sure did. I talked about how I wanted to get jacked on the last episode. And then I've gotten so many messages from people who themselves have gotten jacked, who are also working on changing the narrative about themselves. Uh, I've, I've have had bodybuilders reach out to me. I love this. Uh, it, it was, it's been kind of exciting. There's an amazing thread in the Facebook group too, about uh, women who lift you know, I don't know if I'm going to start lifting, mm, um, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely intrigued by a kettlebell workout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kettlebells are great. We have one that my husband, my husband's very good about like just going out into our yard and doing a workout. Oh, wow. Yeah, just like puts on a podcast and like swings a kettlebell. Okay. I have never done that. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that I never will. You could also have a personal trainer come and work out with you in your backyard. You are I'll tell you what, I'm not going to have a personal trainer. (gasps) (laughs) What? Uh, One, I don't want to spend the money. Two, I like for me exercise is social because Mm -hmm. I work from home. And then when I'm not working, I'm with my kids and I don't speak Mm -hmm. to human, adult humans. Mm -hmm. So for me, exercise doubles as social time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I take a boot camp class that I really like. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, and that is with a trainer. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be my outlet. Okay. I, I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean, what if I, I could change again, nothing. What if you just tried it once? I've worked out with a personal trainer before, but like with a specific, like I want to be jacked. I mean, I don't want to pressure you into doing anything you don't want to do, but listen, I do think they can be extremely valuable. I'll consider. I, I, there was like a person who followed me on Instagram yesterday. It mm-hmm. was like, um, and I've now been looking at these like women who lift trainer, like women who train yeah. women who lift. So, but they're the ones I found on Instagram are not in, in the Los Angeles area. Oh. So I'm doing some Googling to okay. see what I might come up with. I'm into this in order for me to be jacked. super jacked <laughs> in approximately a year. Um, uh. so that's been nice. And then also Dory, I, um, have been really into my gratitude challenge. I'm yeah, seven how is days that going? In. It's awesome. I love it. I've been sharing gratitude every day. 
and I bought a new book on gratitude, which I have brought out for you to look at. It's called The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness and Peace by Jack Kornfield, who's a Buddhist teacher. Cool. I've read one of his other books a long time ago called A Path with Heart and really liked it. And when I was, I was kind of Googling gratitude meditations Mm -hmm. and one on his website came up that I loved and it was an excerpt from this book. So then I just said, I'm going to buy the whole book. Yeah. And it's really great. It has just little kind of meditations and teachings on forgiveness, loving kindness and peace. Is there anything that you've kind of taken away from this whole experience so far or is it too soon? Oh no. I, on Saturday morning, I had a very disappointing thing happen not like a, not a huge crisis, just something that was very frustrating in dealing with some, some stuff with my kids. And I I was like really in my feelings Mm. of like frustration and disappointment. And it kind of throws off a whole plan I had for the whole year. It's just not worth getting into on the podcast, but it was something where I was like really just bummed. Mm. And when I then sat down to write my gratitude for the day, I was kind of able to say like, this thing happened. But what I'm really grateful for is the fact that like, in the grand scheme of things, this is not a big deal. And like Mm -hmm. my family, we have our health and we Mm -hmm. have our roof over, you know, like I, Mm -hmm. I, it was, I was really able to put into perspective the fact that I, I was, it was valid for me to be upset about this thing. But I was also able to, to step out of it and look next to it and see all the other really positive That's things. It felt really good. It felt like I actually had some perspective. I tend to be somebody who gets really sucked into when something challenging happens. I just get sucked into like a negative whirlwind. Do you know what I mean? Like you yep. just start spiraling over everything and self-pitying a little yeah. bit. And this really kind of helped me pull me out of it. So I don't know if anybody else there has a gratitude practice who's listening or is interested in starting one, but it's really become a big part of my life. That's amazing. I'm You're really kind of selling it. me on it. I, I will say the thing that has stuck is sharing it with a group of people. I've never successfully had a gratitude journal. I've tried writing it down in a word doc. I think sharing it with other people. And the other nice thing is you get to see all these wonderful things happening for other people. Yeah. You know, and, and reading other people's moments and also recognizing that we all go through hard times and we're still able to find glimmers of goodness it sounds transformative it's been truly like of all the kind of practices i've tried to put in a place it's stuck so far and it's been really it has been a little transformative i just feel a little happier that's and i feel like i'm able to have some perspective um on things so i don't know i'm excited to dig more into this book and i'm kind of setting up a gratitude like meditation practice for myself who am i becoming a very cool person. You know what? Maybe my body might not get jacked this year, but my spirit will. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. We'll jack, see. Jack your spirit. Jack your soul. Jack your soul. That sounds like so. <laughs> Are you an influencer? I'm becoming a spiritual influencer, everybody. Uh, yeah, so that's been, it's just been really positive. How about you? Have you had any moments this week that have been good that you're feeling grateful for let me turn this to you oh wow um well i 
I, well, people who listen to my other podcast yes. have already heard me talk about this. Um, but my husband and I have been in kind of a, a low place yeah. with IVF and pregnancy stuff. Um, but I had a phone consultation with a new doctor this week and I don't think we're going to switch clinics right away because we still have an embryo left at our, at our clinic at our current clinic but if that doesn't work we're gonna go to this other clinic and then if that doesn't work my sister has offered to be an egg donor wow yeah so i'm feeling extremely grateful for her and our relationship and having a sister i'm gonna cry and yeah so that's been like a very that's so moving oh my god i'm gonna cry that's really, really moving. Yeah. So, I mean, talk oh, about gratitude. God, I can't handle this podcast right now. Wow, Dory, I have chills. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, yeah, I can. I mean, that's. It's like literally not to make you cry no, even more. I'm but ready. it's like literally like the biggest gift she could have given me. Yeah, it is. Other than like a kidney. Oh, God. Which, which she probably which she still would give could. Me. Yeah. I mean, you exactly. never know what life may happen. Totally. Wow. Jeez, Dory. Yeah. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a really, that's, oh man, the connection of humans is really like, that's such a, so a I mean, gift. there's a lot of things that need to actually not happen yes. for us to get to that point. True. Um, but you know, the way things have been going, <laughs> you never know. We never know. Um, so yeah. So I've been thinking about that. I also got a new yoga mat. Nice. Yeah. Did that feel good? It felt really good because I also realized yoga mats are like one of those things where I like I was like, I can't buy a new yoga mat. I, I, I have a yoga mat. And then I realized that my my current yoga mat I've had for probably six or seven years. Yeah. And it's like almost worn through it's like shredded. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe the maybe it's time. Good for you. <laughs> so I got a new yoga mat. Do you recall the brand? Um, yes, I got a Lululemon mat. Oh, because hello. I read on my favorite review website, <clears throat> Wirecutter, the Wirecutter, that this was their favorite mat. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Because mm-hmm. I've been pretty loyal to Manduka. Yeah, yeah. A mat. My husband has a Manduka mat. Okay. It's, he he might have gotten like the big one. Mm-hmm. It Thick is. One? It weighs a thousand pounds. <laughs> Like rolling out an actual carpet. Yes. And so I was like, I don't think I want this one. And I had had a jade yoga mat mm-hmm. previously, which I also really liked, um, which was a runner up in the wire. Okay. Cutter. But I was like, you know what? Let me try this Lululemon mat. It is a little thicker than my jade yoga mat, which I like. Um, also, the Lululemon on Melrose has free valet parking. Well, listen, Los Angeles residents, get I mean, on down. Get on that. <laughs> I was so pleasantly surprised. You're almost never pleasantly surprised in these situations. I have to say, if you don't live in LA, uh, there's this weird world here where you just valet park for everything. It's bizarre. I've never seen it anywhere else. It took me a long time to get used to it, but, and it, it starts racking up. Some places charge yeah. five bucks, eight bucks. Oh, this has been a recurring theme on my other podcast oh my because God. our clinic charges $7. Yeah. Or sometimes it's like $7 a 15 minutes. Oh, totally. So anyway, it, this can be kind of a tug on the wallet. Yeah. And uh, free valley parking is a real treat parking. here in Los Angeles, yeah. California. So I, I got the new mat. I used it last night in my restorative yoga class, which... I, you know, I know I've talked about restorative yoga on this podcast before, but it has really become like quite a 
it's, it's really a practice for me. Like I set aside that time yeah. on Sunday nights and like, I don't want anything else to interfere with it. There's a, there's like rotating, there's a, th- there's three different classes in LA that I really like. They all happen to be on Sundays at 6 PM. Okay. And so I will go to one of those, um, classes depending on my mood, but it's just, it's a really, it's a great way to sort of like wrap up the weekend, go into the week with a clear head. I also find that I come up with like ideas during class yeah. and you and I were talking about this. Like, I think it, it just allows my head to be clear in a way that I almost never get without my phone, without any other distractions yeah. with like, it's sort of a meditation. It's very relaxing. So I've, I basically, my workouts now basically consist of restorative yoga, which is a workout for my mind and my soul and Broadway dance class, which is a workout for your heart, which in your body. Yes, exactly. So one thing I would be curious about is we do get a lot of questions about, um, how to do things at home or how to do things, yep. um, without spending money. I'd be curious about establishing a restorative yoga practice at home. There are definitely poses you can do without props. I believe the props help. Yeah. You know, I, I have yoga blocks at home. Um, and I had looked into at one point getting a bolster, mm. Bolsters are like a good bolster is like fifty, sixty dollars. Oh, yeah, um, and then, you know, you can get a yoga blanket. I think to really have like a like a great restorative practice, I would say like you definitely need two blocks, a bolster, and a blanket. Mm-hmm. If you can afford it, I think two bolsters and two blankets is really gonna make your life amazing and a strap. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's totally something you can do at home. My home, like there's not really a great place for me to do restorative yoga. Like I could do it in my living room, but it's too distracting. Yeah. It's nice being in a quiet, calm space. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have that space in your home or even outside. Yeah. I would be curious if anyone has um, a restorative practice at home. I would love to hear about it. Yeah. Jasmine Guillory, who's been on this podcast, who was doing a yoga challenge when we spoke to her, in the winter is still, she's still at it. She's still on her daily yoga practice. It's amazing. I know. And she does it like on the road too. It's truly like inspirational. And also like, I think she's going to make it a year and also maybe never stop. It's really awesome. I mean, just setting up a daily, anything practice for yourself is such a huge accomplishment. Yes. And a yoga practice. It's like, yeah, she's traveled and done it all over. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Should we take a little break? I think we should take a little break. All right. We'll be right back. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is, and I feel like also with summer just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out. It's 
vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get oh, into okay, it. Do you want to tell me why? No, no. I was just <laughs> going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie also from Quince. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com 
slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast, but I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. So Kate. Yes, ma'am. It has been about two months since we talked about doing two-month intentions. That went by real fast. It sure did. I don't think I even would have remembered, but one of the mods in the Facebook group asked if she should put up a post about two-month intentions. And I was like, oh, actually, I think we should talk about that on the podcast. Thank you, mods, for holding us accountable <laughs> yeah. for things that we don't hold ourselves accountable no. for. Um, I had, it was interesting because we had had this long discussion about these intentions. And then, tr- to be honest, I kind of forgot. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back and I re-listened to the episode where we talked about what our intentions were, I have kind of, I've actually accomplished the things I set out for myself to accomplish. That's amazing. Now, I, I was really focused on finding more calm and structure and balance. And I, I feel like I have done that mm-hmm. through a lot of things I've just talked about here, like going to bed earlier, yeah, focusing on gratitude, yeah. kind of slowing down. And then I also made a commitment to write 5,000 words of a project I was all hyped up about two months ago. Mm -hmm. I did write 5,000 words. Amazing. I've killed the project. Okay. The project is, has, is going away. All right. RIP project. RIP. But I did do the thing. You did the thing. It took And you know what? Maybe you needed to do that thing to realize that you had to kill it. I'm frantically waving my hands (laughs) because I think that's what, I think that's what had to happen. I had to write. This is the this is the part of the creative process. It's always really fun. Oh yeah, where you have to 
kill your darling. Yeah, you have to kill it. So anyway, I did do I did actually do the thing. And it was really, it was really nice to kind of set up a longer term, some longer term goals. So I would be down to do it again. I don't know. What did what did you what did you think of the experience? Well, my goal was to I feel like I I set a much lower bar for myself in a way. Like I was just like, I want to figure out what I'm going to be writing. Now, I also sort of shifted that in my brain because I realized that although that seemed like a low bar, it was actually kind of a high bar in a way because I was like, I'm going to figure out my next thing. Right. You're going to solve it. I'm going to solve it. Um, You know, now when people ask me like, what's, what's your next book going to be or whatever, like I'm going to have an answer for them. And I don't have an answer. Do you think part of trying to wanting to figure that out initially is just because when people ask, it feels uncomfortable to not have an answer? Yes, because it's simultaneously very flattering to have people curious about your next your your work. Sure. And, you know, people my 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 novel ended on a I guess you could say a somewhat ambiguous note that have led a lot of people to ask if there's going to be a sequel. Oh, wow. Which is like, again, wow, like what a gift. People want to read more of my work and are interested in these characters and in this world and like want to know what happens to them. Like, that's amazing. And also totally terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think I've just been a little paralyzed because there does seem to be this expectation that like I'm working on something else and it's going to be amazing. And somehow, I don't know, like I just, I've, I've sort of set this up for myself in my head. Um, not necessarily even like that. It's a sequel, just whatever my next thing is. Like I now have people who have read my book and love my book, which is all that an author can really ask for but now they they want more. <laughs> You're so in demand. Um, and so I think I've been feeling that a little bit of like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've had a lot going on in my life. Like I left my job. We started this podcast. I've been doing IVF. Like I have a lot going on. And so... Because when we started working on our books you hadn't you were in the beginning of the IVF experience no we hadn't hadn't even started started like I remember having the initial kind of conversation about you about you yeah because we started working on our books before Matt and I even got married oh my god that's right yeah and that was when we were like trying not trying you know what I mean (laughs) who knows what happens um so yes we weren't we weren't trying I was also at a point in my job where I was a manager and I was very frustrated with my job. So I sort of had this like other motivation, um, which was to be like, I'm still a creative person, even though I have this job that feels really not creative right now. Um, And like now my quote unquote job is something that I really love. Staring at my face once a week. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Watching me have a panic attack on weekly basis um so i think that has also kind of like the success of this podcast has sort of unwittingly contributed to not feeling as motivated to have this other thing now i've i'm sort of like working through that i think well that's kind of sounds like what you were going to do 
two, like what you set out to do two months ago has yes. worked through all that. And I will say, and, um, <laughs> this sort of came out of nowhere, but Matt had been watching the Shonda Rhimes masterclass about writing television. And listen, Shonda is very inspirational. Yes, she is. And I just happened to be in his office one day while he was watching this. And I was like looking at my phone, but like my ears perked up and I was like, are you watching Shonda Rhimes talk about like how she pitched Grey's Anatomy? And he's like, yes, I am. And so then I started watching it and I was like, you know, it would be an interesting exercise to write a television pitch. Wow. Okay. So I've been doing that. That's exciting. Now, I'm, I say that with, I think I've managed to kind of set the bar low for myself because all I want to do is finish this. Okay. Okay. I don't know if I will ever show it to anyone. That's fine. I don't know. I like, I don't know if it will ever go anywhere, but I think it has been a really good exercise to just think about something creatively. And also like a pitch is not, it's, it's complicated. There's a lot of moving parts to a pitch and you have to work hard on it, but it's not a novel. I like the story. It's not a screenplay. It's finite in a way that feels right now manageable to me. And I think I will get a little bit of confidence back in terms of my writing and my like create my creative mind. Once I'm able to just say, I finished something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Should we set new two month intentions? Should we set them longer? Oh, (laughs) one month. I mean, this is kind of, it's kind of been an interesting practice. It has been an interesting practice. I would be interested in setting a longer intention personally, because that is something that I have never been that oh God, good at. That's so scary. Like a six month, like a six monther. Like there are people who have like five year plans for their lives oh, or totally. 10 year plans. Oh yeah. And I, I like, I feel like when we had this initial conversation, like two months, I was like, Oh, I, like I've never, like, <laughs> never thought about never it. Thought about it. Um, and you know, maybe it's because like with, with IVF, it does feel like we have more of a long-term plan than we ever did before because we had, we had really been like crossing that bridge when we get to it mentality where like, we'll just see what happens with this and then we'll figure it out. And now we have actually like figured something out for what will, what could take us through the next year. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that was like not wanting to have to think about worst case scenarios. But now that we've been through so many worst case scenarios, we're like, okay, we can think about worst case scenarios. So I think that, and, and it, it feel it's like a relief to have that in place because it feels like, okay, even if this next thing doesn't work, we know what we're going to do after that. You're t- you've totally sold me on making a plan. So let's make a plan, Kate. I think that we should think about this and present it I agree. to each other next week. I agree. And decide the terms of our long-term... The terms term and conditions of our plan. that apply. <laughs> and, and maybe we do a little Googling on like, pract- like planning practices. Like, le- and are we just thinking... Per- well, we know my year-long intention of jackedness... Yes, Which that's again, a plan. That's, that's a goal. Uh-huh. Um, are we just thinking professional? Are we I thinking think some personal? Okay. Anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I would like to do this. Let's do this. All right. We're into it. Great. Well, that's <sighs> our intention for next week. 
yeah, to set up our challenge, to set up our challenge, okay. set up our, our year long intention challenge. Wait, did we just go from six months to a year? <laughs> we might even go for 10 years. What? Who knows? Oh my God. Dora, let's take a little break. Okay. Oh. Our guest today is author, writer, glamorous woman, <laughs> Glennis McNichol. Hello. Hello. Thank Yay. you for having Welcome. me. So nice to see you. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, Glennis is the author of a new book called No One Tells You This. It is a memoir. Um, Glennis has been a journalist for... 12 yeah. years? I was yeah. going to say something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I I've no, I think I've known you for most of mm-hmm. those 12 years. Yeah, isn't that crazy um, when you say, we've known each other for more than a decade. Yes. And I go, we've turned into one of those. Like, totally. <laughs> and I have to say, reading your book, and I mean, we, we can get to this. So reading your book, it was like, I, I was like, oh, I lived this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was very, very, it was an interesting experience. Hello just again, that, 2009. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, Glynis, we we want to talk to you for so many reasons, but I'd love for you to just kind of give us a brief overview of what your book is about. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned 40 with a certain amount of dread. Uh, I had a lot going on in my life in terms of sort of family stuff, and it sort of all of a sudden, last minute, I was like, oh my God, I'm turning 40. I'm single. I don't have children. It felt like I was going off a cliff, and I was going to wake up the next morning like some shriveled old woman with no potential and it was just the end. And I woke up the next morning with the exact opposite feeling. It was literally like a sense of elation that I'd been untethered from all of these deadlines and expectations and calculations and then spent the rest of the year having both like a very adventurous and exhilarating year and also a very difficult year, but for reasons that no one had prepared me for. So I, I spent a lot of time that you're complaining that I had not been prepared for both how good it was and how difficult it was and feeling very resentful about it. And then I got to the end of the year and had this uh, sort of Oprah aha moment, as I like to call it, and thought, well, you are a full-time writer. Perhaps yeah. you have enough material from this year that you could turn it into the book that you have been complaining doesn't exist. So that's what I did. Yeah, so... Glynis, your book is really about, well, it's about a lot of things, but one of the things that it is about is this idea that you can be over 40 and single and childless and be happy, mm-hmm. which seems like it shouldn't be that right. revolutionary. Right. So radical. <laughs> and yet. And yet. Yeah. Um, I, I, there was a passage in here that I highlighted. Um and that I just felt like was kind of highlighted the theme of the book, which is that you were increasingly frustrated that some people seemed incapable of believing me when I said I was happy with my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. I still encounter that at the reading last night at Skylight. The last question was from a woman who appeared to be in her late fifties or early sixties. And she just said, you appear to be happy, but do you ever think like down the road you would have a Full, I know, and nurturing Sorry, life. Already sighing. <laughs> without wow. children. And this was at the end of an hour-long conversation. And I just thought, you can't... And I don't want to like broad stroke this. I sometimes hear this from men, but I almost always hear it from women. And I just think how we all suffer, not just single women, 
all women suffer from these very narrow narratives we have around valuing women's lives. And I was looking to my left and my right and thinking like, so many women are living similarly to me. My life is as fulfilling and joyous and as difficult uh, as anyone else's. And I increasingly got frustrated that this seemed that I wasn't seeing my life and the life of the women I knew reflected back at us in any sort of mm-hmm. storytelling. Like, like on the day I turned 40, I really had this urge to like go to the movies or like read a book that felt like it r- resonated with the life I was leading. Yeah. I thought there is nothing like I can't find anything. And that's so sad and says a lot about who gets to tell stories. Um, and I just, it was, I just thought, wow, it's such bullshit. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really is such bullshit, especially when the numbers back us all up on all of this stuff. But it's really ingrained. Like, I'm constantly, yeah. it doesn't really irritate me um, so much anymore. It mostly just makes me like, ugh. Well, and the narrative, too, that this kind of how can you be happy if you don't have kids and if you're single really only is thrown at women. Absolutely. I have never heard it. It's never uttered toward a man who's 40 or old. I mean, no. it just doesn't it just doesn't come up. It's never, it's, yeah. I mean, and the, the flip side of that, I sometimes think is we do a disservice to women who get married and have children with the idea that that's the solution to whatever unhappiness they have in their life, that these are going to provide mm-hmm. the greatest satisfaction. And so many of my married friends, it's difficult. I think the reason we're seeing so many sort of motherhood memoirs right now is it's difficult for women with children to talk about what's difficult and what makes them unhappy because yeah. culturally we don't allow for that. Mm-hmm. Just as culturally yeah. we don't allow for me to be happy and be believed. And again, I think that is all about very narrow ideas of what women's lives are about. Yes. And what's supposed to bring us um, joy, what we're supposed to be grateful for, what our intended roles are. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask yourself who benefits from those narratives. And I don't think it's ever women. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And you point out, I, I think you point out in your book that these, narratives about men single men who don't have kids they're almost romanticized Mm -hmm. yes they're like the john wayne riding off into the sunset of you know the untamable man who's just leading a life of adventure and at the end of the book i literally go west and i was like i'm riding off into the sunset yeah (laughs) but like it's just it's oh yeah we we idolize that that man and i think that's you know I do. I haven't spent a, like an inordinate amount of time thinking about how men suffer from narratives but they do in that like I'm sure there are a lot of men who would like to talk about how badly they want to feel like they, they lack the language around this. Too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or like what we expect masculinity to look like and when it doesn't and how that manifests in anger. Like there's a lot to be, there's a lot to dig into here. I just took my own personal experience. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, they said, I thought this was so interesting. Uh, he said, your, your book passes the bedshell test that there are two women talking to each other not about men right he goes did you set out to to create that and i said (laughs) oh my god i said i set out to write a book that reflected the reality of my life and those women around me and i have to say we rarely spend a lot of time talking about men with been my and i just thought wow but how would men know that Right. Like right, how, how right. But yeah. it's not like why, how would they know that when, if all they see on screen is women having conversations about men, right? There's not a lot of like evidence out there that perhaps we have fuller and in- other interests. Yes. Yeah. 
a lot of other industry, yeah you and know? other problems yeah. other crises I'm trying other to remember the last time I had a conversation that was solely about a man actually it's like uh, not including the current administration or like right. men as a general right. topic yeah anyway yeah <laughs> it's all it's all fascinating well yeah and just I mean just <clears throat> one more thought about this which is like I think it it seems like it's probably especially threatening to men <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> my throat has been I've had like a frog in my throat it okay. might be the candle <laughs> maybe it is I'm gonna blow the candle okay. out. you might there might be a candle allergy that we are gonna diagnose on this podcast this did happen once before really? with a candle oh um it's gonna be smoky I apologize okay sorry um I was just gonna say one other thing that this did make me think of is that it does seem especially threatening for men to see a, a heterosexual woman mm-hmm. kind of be so independent mm-hmm. because you don't need them in the way that they think you they you want should. you you should yeah i so i i know that i'm not the first person to notice this but it's really been on my mind when uh the president goes to his rallies and they chant lock her up and we're two years past the election and hillary clinton is really no longer a player on anything and i just think they're not really chanting that they want to lock hillary clinton up i think in a larger sense what we're talking about is this we are part of a generation of very financially independent women who are navigating their own lives separate from men in many ways. And that's very alarming. And what we're hearing yeah. is the like the shutdown of that. We're seeing it in policies that are implemented. So I, it is very – I mean, you can look at my Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten the brunt of it, but I, I wrote a piece for the New York Times last weekend, and I started getting the like involuntarily celibate crowd got in there a little bit oh the incels the incels that's right i was like what is this like yeah it's it's put you know i'm not in my place wow yeah and that that piece was really interesting in that you write about an interaction you had with a male writer Mm -hmm. who could not wrap his head around the fact that you were single and childless and fulfilled yeah and he was really trying to be public place in a public place I think he thought he was being kind. Like it, he couldn't conceive of a version of my life that could be enjoyable. And he really was so concerned for me that he made me take his steak home from Raul's and Soho, which is a delicious steak. So I was like, okay, I don't, I don't cook. I'll take it. But it was really interesting to me that like even my protestations of like, I'm, having a great time like right I, I promise you it's okay yeah like i was comforting him about my life it was not it fell on deaf ears there's just no comprehension that outside you know of marriage i could possibly be enjoying myself even though i was sitting at raul's in june like having a martini or whatever it was like that all, sounds great it, <laughs> it like all evidence that you're seeing is not enough to convince you yeah wow yeah oh boy it's it's yeah, but we are very new. I do think that too. Like yeah. this is, we are generally the anecdote I always come back to is women couldn't have their own credit cards until 1974 without a man signing on to it. Yeah, that's crazy. And I was born in 1974, so there's some sort of a, yeah. you know like this weird first wave of really being part of a generation and part of a segment of that generation who has the ability to navigate your own life. We don't have a language around it yet, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I think what we're coming up against. Mm-hmm. There is another anecdote that you tell in your book about when um, your best friend and business partner, Rachel, gets mm-hmm. pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
and you are sort of tasked with planning her baby shower mm-hmm. um and someone responds and says like well if it's going to be a brunch like yeah remember that we have kids remember some of us can't go to brunch yeah um and you you were very kind of upset about that um and it just it really resonated with me because something that we've been talking about a lot on the podcast is kind of what happens at this age when like people have kids people don't have kids people aren't married people are married and like we all just kind of want human connection mm-hmm. and we don't really know how to find it yeah and there's also i i have two kids there's a def- uh, defensiveness mm-hmm. i think everybody is tired mm-hmm. and working very hard and feels very defensive of their positions in a, in a way and it's I, hard to communicate yeah. with each other and i think it's all coming from a similar place of you're not recognizing yes my life as it is and I think a lot of my friends and women I know who have especially small children like more than one child under the age of five and they're really in the the deep end of it Mm -hmm. look at my life or there's look at my apartment or look at my ability to move around and just think you know like sort of with that green gimlet eyed envy and I understand where it's coming from but there's also this sense of when you don't have a partner and you don't have a child, it's almost like people see an empty space beside you or empty time that they mm. have mm-hmm. public access to. And there's no recognition. The reason that that brunch line irritated me or upset me actually so much was because I had just spent, you know, four days with my mother in an emergency room trying to get her care. And I was helping my sister take care of small children. I was like standing in customs in the airport covered in like, vomit four day old clothes hadn't had a shower and it had been a deeply upsetting day and I just thought you are making assumptions about my life because I you can't see my life as a it's again can't see my life as a full one because I don't have these recognizable things around me that you that are are seen as like a valuable expenditure of my time so if I'm not doing what we recognize I must be having brunch like I don't fucking know people can't have brunch and also the flip side of that is like you think I don't know people can have brunch? Like there's a real uh, grieving process almost when all of your friends get married and have children and you no longer have anyone to do anything yeah. with. Like that is a tough, tough thing to navigate. And then, you know, there's financial stuff and there's this whole thing. So it was just, yeah, I really, I was very angry and upset in that moment. If I could crawl through my phone and be like, <laughs> I'll give you a fucking brunch. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't think you... Do you say what you ended up doing for I know, the baby how shower? Was it I don't think you do. Oh, we did have a baby shower. And the thing that's so difficult talking about that is that it's really tough. And I talk a little bit about it with one of my best friend's weddings, too. Is It's so tough to talk about this because I, it's not that I don't want to do these things. I, of, course. of course, I wanted Rachel to have a nice baby shower and I wanted to participate in it. And of course, I was thrilled for my best friend in getting married. But there's a recognition of like... It is... I was just trying to recognize like how fraught and complicated these things are mm-hmm. and what role we're relegating in this case me into with a level there was a certain disrespect to that yeah. that I was upset by clearly <laughs> yeah. yeah well just this expectation like you said that because you don't have a partner or children that mm-hmm. you're just available yeah I just have tons of free time and it's available for yeah and when Five people have, I was, I say somewhere in the book, like I'm the first or second emergency phone call for a lot of people because we have our children later. There's less family structure. We don't live close to home. Like when all those phone calls come in at the same time, it's really overwhelming. Mm. And the flip side of that, that doesn't get talked about is that I'm coming home to no one. Right. And which I generally prefer, but even small things like 
I had a dishwasher at that point, which I no longer do, but I was like, just somebody that had loaded the dishwasher. Yeah, you're doing it all yourself. Corked the glass of wine or had said to me, did you have a difficult day? Yeah. Because I had had a difficult day. And like, so when you're the person taking care of so many people at the same time and there's no one there to take care of you, even in small ways, then it's even like increasingly difficult. And we, everybody is overwhelmed. So it's difficult to talk about these things without sounding like whiny but I really wanted to just recognize it in a way of like it's respect you know yeah you have to respect the lives of women all the way around I thought you did such a good job in the book of not you didn't seem whiny no No, thank you um and I I did really appreciate that you were honest about those times that you felt lonely and you know it wasn't like you were like I'm just a badass single lady right you know i hate i hate that and i hate that tone yeah Yeah, i hate the like you go girl i hate that phrase um (laughs) attitude yeah Yeah. and i i thought you you know you were you were so wrenchingly honest and kind of self-aware in a way that was really refreshing thank you that's good to hear because i you do sort of go into a hole with this stuff and when you come out the other end you're like and I do think women question this about themselves yes. a lot too. Like, am I complaining too much? Sure. Am I exaggerating mm-hmm. this? Was it really that difficult? Should yes. I just like keep my mouth shut and go on? It wasn't really that bad. Yeah. yeah. Right. Or this yeah. so-and-so had it harder. Yes. Yeah. I- I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about um, caring for a parent. Mm-hmm. That's something I went through a bit in my 20s. But now that I'm almost 40, I'm I'm having a lot of friends who are coming into that role Uh, And I think it's a really challenging one and Mm -hmm. one that is not really discussed, especially amongst people our age. It's the kind of thing like we maybe think of as our parents doing, but but taking on that and then also just kind of how you managed to find ways to care for yourself while that was Mm -hmm. going on. Um, I think I can't. It happened to me a little. I mean, this happens to a lot of people my mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's and then dementia. And then it progressed really, really quickly. And I am sort of on the younger side of having to deal with an aging parent. I think usually people are about 10 years older. So I had a lot of friends that were dealing with this with their grandparents, which was a much different experience than dealing with with it directly for your parent. And my sister was a single mother at the time of three children. And so it was really um, a lot of it fell on me to organize and make sure. And it was just, it's anybody who's dealt with Alzheimer's or dementia is incredibly painful and mm-hmm. uh, complicated. And you're just scrambling to try and get the care you need. And I'm Canadian. So if this was happening in Canada, thank God, because of the universal health care, I was having a much different experience. It was frustrations and challenges of trying to get the care set up. But I had all these moments of, just imagining what this would be like if we lived in the States and who would be paying for it and how much different my life would look in that case. I would have had to move home or what would we have done or where would I have had to put her to, because there was no, it was just so overwhelming. At one point I was in an emerge room in in Toronto and the doctor said, we're going to admit your mother, which is what I wanted. And I said, Oh, thank God. And I said, Oh, but does our insurance cover this? And everyone in the room looked at me, including my mother or my father and my sister. They're like, I had grown a second head. And I had this moment. I went, Oh, we're in Canada right now. Okay. Right. Okay. Not the question I need to ask. Like it was just wow. so ingrained. And they were just like, cause of course outside the United States, nobody can comprehend that we have the healthcare system that we have. It's just like, yeah. like, let me describe Mars to you. Yeah. Um, in terms of self-care, I have to say I didn't do a good job that year. Hmm. I 
my self-care was milkshakes, which I... Delicious self-care. And I do not feel bad about that. And I certainly... Somebody said something to me like, oh, that's too bad. And I was like, no, they made me feel better for 10 solid minutes. And I was like, I needed those 10 minutes. And it was... um, great and the delivery guy from seamless and i was like <laughs> i always think if law and order was still around it would be like the delivery my seamless delivery guy would be like she's dead because she hasn't ordered a milkshake in the last 48 hours and calling the police it's interesting that someone said that that's too bad like as if your self-care was just supposed to be like meditating you know right. I mean, we have such a um a narrow view about what's good self-care and what's bad self-care right. and sometimes it's just what you whatever it is that you need yeah, exactly. to make it through the day is good i was so there was no and I had operated for a full year, sort of in emergency mode. Like there was no break from that care, trying to get my mother into a safe place. And you're just in that. It's almost like adrenaline. Like you don't have time to think you're just go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And I, and that honestly just made me feel better for little periods of time and didn't require me to think about anything. Meditate. I was definitely not meditating. (laughs) Um, at that moment, I, uh, I think, I think one of the lessons, I think this is true probably of all women, but particularly when you're living alone is learning to ask for help is very difficult. And when there's no one there to just do it without your asking, I got to a place where I was really, I was exhausted, like emotionally, physically, Mm -hmm. just so done. And I didn't know how to say to people and all of my friends would have just jumped if I'd asked to say right. like, I I'm well past the point of needing assistance. And that was a hard lesson to learn, but it really did teach me like ask for help. Your friends want to help. You have to really get over the sense of you're being spoiled or, you know, they, everyone else has different things to do. So that was a tough, that was tough. Now I go, I'm a big believer in massages. I mean, yes. this, I think this is a pretty common thing, but I, I'm like, I'm very, I'm, I take very seriously knowing how to enjoy myself. I think that's a skill and I've, I'm fairly good at it to really, and I think for women, there's some shame attached yes. to enjoying yourself as if you're spoiled and particularly when you're single, cause you're always facing the like, Oh, you're selfish. You're spoiled. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm getting a, I'm not, you know, like <laughs> n- neither of those things are true of almost anyone, but I, I, I really think it's a, a skill that I'm so pleased that I have just, knowing how to enjoy myself and making sure that I do, whether it's a massage, whether it's a trip, whether it's a really good meal, whether it's like sushi that I really like and making sure I get that because it's important. Like why shouldn't I have it? You know, what, what suggestions or advice would you give to someone who has trouble with this? Oh, I, I almost think it's, you have to show by example sometimes because I think women feel so alone with this stuff or they think something's wrong with them. The amazing thing about this book is how many women are saying like, oh, I felt the exact same thing. When I wrote the book, I really thought I was a lunatic. I was like, mm. my God, people are going to read this and think I'm crazy. Um, I would just say I <clears throat> prioritize self-care. There's a chapter in the book called do the things which keep you out of the mm-hmm. nut house, which is a Catherine Hepburn quote was, I was like, that's the original self-care phrase. Like this <laughs> idea of you totally. are almost like the cliche of like, put your oxygen mask on first. You have to know how to take care of yourself. Like that's a skill. That's a life skill along with anything else, like doing your taxes, mm-hmm. knowing how to like get on a plane to go somewhere, drive. Like, it's just, it's, it's necessary. And I, would just say to someone like I prioritize it to make sure that I'm a functioning person 
so that I can also be a functioning person in other people's lives. Because at the end of the year of the book, I, I was like, I was not helpful. To, I was not mm-hmm. a useful person. And it took a long time to come back and be present in my friends' lives. And that's not good for anyone. Like you're, I hate that someone feel guilty about like doing nice things for themselves. Yeah. You know, I don't know how to solve it except to say I do nice things for myself all the time. <laughs> you know, I really do. And I have no intention of apologizing for it. It's quite nice, you know, so. I love that. Yeah. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like creppiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. And please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Going back to what you were just saying about kind of learning how to ask for help from mm-hmm. your friends, it it was it was very poignant um, when you wrote about your mother's funeral mm-hmm. yeah. and how so many of your friends had offered to come mm-hmm. and you 
told them not to Mm -hmm. and then the day of the funeral you wish they were there yeah um but that also seems like a skill that's hard to learn yes i also think so i wrote the epilogue the week after my mother died oh gosh yeah Yeah. my mom died two weeks after i finished the first draft of this book and then we had to the revision process was rather intense i haven't actually reread that blog since i wrote it i wrote it handed it in and then on during the editing process i said to my agent i said i can't so you're gonna have to tell me if there's anything that needs to come out but so it was written from like a really intensely raw place and i'm glad it was because i think it would have been one of those things that i might have dulled down Mm -hmm. in the aftermath i think it's an avocado falling off the tree oh Oh, that's a great sound (laughs) big avocado tree that's the sound of happiness (laughs) be a squirrel throwing it out of the tree that's probably what it is but the happiest squirrels in the world yeah, they're very fat and joyful um i think part of that is rich is recognizing is ritual around friendships is what mm-hmm. i'm trying to say like i think no husband regardless of how fraught the marriage was or relative would not show up for a funeral right but we don't have the expectations around friendship yet culturally that sort of demand those actions where you wouldn't even think twice about it. Yeah. And the flip side of that is I didn't have the language in that moment to say, and I don't even actually think I knew how much I needed somebody there. Cause when you're so accustomed to taking care of things and taking care of yourself, I was like, okay, let's just do this. And it was really when I was sitting uh, in the service, I was like, Oh, this was a big mistake. I really needed somebody to be here. And it was just like, knowledge I wish I'd come to a little bit sooner but there was also this weird thing about the funeral everyone's response to it was so everyone had language around we have language around death and funerals like flowers the recognition the cards and I thought oh this is what it's like to have a wedding you know like it was the first time I participated in a widely recognized ritual where everyone knew what to do and the motions to take and I was at the center of it in some way and I was like Ah, this is what it's like. <laughs> like I was like there were certain things I never I didn't have to ask for at all because everyone just knew what to do and yeah. I people jump into action yeah it yeah. was it was amazing so I just I think as I mean we've certainly in the last few years increasingly talked about the importance of female friendships and yeah. I think as we get married later and have children later and these friendships are like decades long instead of my high school friend that was my bridesmaid right we are starting to really recognize like the deep importance and begin to build rituals around that that will give us a language for it but we're still in early days and i just because i have such close friendships and all my friends felt i when i wrote the book i had to i gave it to my friends that are in it to make sure they were okay with it i was Mm. like this do not feel bad about this because i did not write this to make anyone feel guilty i'm quite aware that everybody would have jumped on a plane at the drop of a hat had i asked right yeah it's the ask right we're not at a place yet where that ask isn't necessary right i think we will get to that place like you'd never have to ask a spouse and just be like we're getting divorced if you're not yeah. here like yeah it's, so it's true yeah i think we will get to that place but and maybe you know just writing stuff like this is helpful because i'm sure a lot of people feel it so yeah, you said that you've heard from women that this kind of reflected their experience, mm-hmm. but what has some of the other feedback about the book been? It's been almost, it's been out for less than a week, so the feedback is getting mixed with that New York Times article that was so popular. Right, right, right. Which was, in, the, the, the Times article is very aligned with the book, though, and I heard 
I was getting an email like every 20 minutes for wow. a few days. Yeah, it was crazy. And wow. Uh-huh. Except for maybe three, they were all good. It was a lot of women and I was getting paragraphs long emails mm. about women and their own life experiences. I was hearing from women who from their 20s to their 70s, married, not married, children, not children. And just like I this resonates with me or I'm worried about these things. Or it was a lot of emails from people being like. I'm the same as you and don't worry it gets better Aww. like I, this you're never going to turn 48 and regret any of these decisions and I was like it was really like I heard from like single men in their 60s who were like oh I live like this and it's fantastic but they all seem to live in Europe and I was like well you have health care in Europe so I'm right. better cheese so I believe you that it's better <laughs> but um yeah it was really I think the underlying theme that connected nearly every response and every in-person response I've got to this is thank you for taking my life seriously. Mm. And I think that's something we all feel because of course taking women's lives seriously is not something we do generally. It's also interesting to me that the way women's life choices are kind of constantly up for discussion in a way that Mm -hmm. I don't know if men's are like, for example, if my, husband and I go to a party together mm-hmm. often someone will just turn to me and ask like where are the who's with the kids right and I don't know if anyone's ever asked my husband that right um and like why is anyone even asking like why is why is that even up for discussion and yeah. I feel like similarly why is the the choice of a woman to be single and not have children why is it up for anybody to debate? You know what I mean? It's interesting that just it's a, a totally acceptable mm-hmm. just kind of talk about us in front of us mm-hmm. or at us mm-hmm. um, in a way that I don't think happens to our friend, to male identified people. I think for a long time, in, include today, uh, women have been thought of as possessions. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you, I remember I was in Las Vegas a few months ago and it was like booze, bills and broads like it's you know we, we talk about wine women and whiskey you know it's this thing mm-hmm. that for men that it's in a, a possession in a way to show off yeah something about them and i don't we don't i said i don't know if i say it in here in the article but it says we're very uncomfortable with women navigating their own lives in any way that's not like that's detached the original title of the book was good driving which is a quote from thelma and louise (laughs) which i just liked i liked the i love thelma and louise but even though they drive off a cliff at the end which is another you know like metaphorically we two women on the road together couldn't possibly have any ending except they plunged off a cliff together um but we don't we talk about women drivers as like a metaphor for bad driving we just are really uncomfortable with women by themselves in charge And again, when people respond to you like that, I just think it's because we don't, we're not seeing like movies and television and books. It's all important. We're not seeing any versions of our lives reflected back at us that is in any way accurate or widely recognized. We're still referencing like cultural tropes that were created in the fifties. And I think until that shifts and that, you know, ties into the conversation about who gets to make the decisions in Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. I'd like, I think we all struggle with that because we haven't provided people with a language outside of that. They just don't even know what to ask. Yeah. yeah, you know, these assumptions are pretty deeply ingrained. ingrained yeah. yeah. I do it too. I mean, I'm sure I, I'm hundred percent sure if I was at a party, I don't know if I would occur, like I'm sure it would occur to me to ask the man, but my default might be to ask the woman. That's bullshit. I mean, it's just people making chit chat too. I mean, yeah. that's what's such a, it's, it's, harmless i mean Mm -hmm. or it's it's not intended to have some like have any sort of heavy weight and be commentary on gender roles and Mm -hmm. motherhood and everything else but it just it 
Yeah. It's just how we communicate. And then it reinforces yeah. the role. And of, then I always have to answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing too. I, the answer. I'm pretty good at not answering things if I don't want to. I think because I was a waitress for a long time. Yeah. And, teach us that yeah. skill. Yeah. <laughs> the deeply obnoxious skill of saying, uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if that helps anything, but you know, like just the not speaking. You don't have to answer. I mean, we do get a lot of people who write us who have questions like, how do I respond when people question my life decisions, mm-hmm. whether it's a career choice, a marriage, um, moving across the country to be with a partner. Mm-hmm. There's this expectation that we have to answer mm-hmm. to right, people. That we owe people an explanation. Yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing <laughs> and what I like and what I would like to practice is that we don't. You don't know anyone. You mean there are, I'm sure, people in your life to whom you owe yes, an ex- that's a practical fair. explanation. But sometimes I counter it by asking them about their life because so often these questions have exactly nothing to do with you and are yes. a reflection of decisions they've made in their own life, which when you flip it, and turn a question into a question can have the effect of putting someone else on the spot of like, why is this a problem? You know, like I wouldn't say, why is this a problem? But you know, why wouldn't I want to move across the country? Yeah. You know, not, I, I, I find the older I get, the less it's almost like a default where I'm like, I'm not explaining myself to you, but I'm not even going to say that. Like, why are you asking me this question? Right. Why wouldn't I want to do this? What are you wondering? Yeah. Yeah. What's so strange about this decision? that I'm traveling alone or that yeah. I did an interview with um, an Irish arts show the other night. And she goes, well, I think we all know how difficult it is for women to eat alone still. And I, was, I, know. I said, Oh, oh I live in New York city. I mean, right. like, I've been eating alone for as long as I can remember. That's my treat to myself. Eating I was alone like, is like joy. Yeah, exactly. But I also appreciate that's not true for every woman in right. every country in the world that I come to it yes. from a, a, a place. But it was just so amusing to me. I was like, do you mean that's like a, a constitutional right i wouldn't <laughs> not eat alone but i've reached the point now where i'd to travel with somebody i'd have to be like really prove to me that you want to that you're worth traveling mm-hmm. like the old seinfeld episode are you sponge worthy like are you travel <laughs> companion worthy to yeah me? you know yeah. prove yeah. it um i want to completely switch gears because you have beautiful skin <laughs> i just came from tv too i feel like i've got caked makeup on um, you look dewy and fresh you look oh, dewy and you. fresh what is your secret <laughs> um i think about this a lot when i'm listening to the podcast actually oh thanks for yeah. listening uh i was a competitive swimmer from the time i was a little kid like i think eight or nine and the chlorine was so brutal on my skin mm-hmm. that at age nine i started using face moisturizer as to counter the chlorine so i had like a skincare oh routine from such a young age that's amazing yeah and that's honestly and then my mother slathered me i've never i'm the person on the beach that's fully covered for most of my right. life and my mother had slathered me in sunblock so i've always used 60 sunblock I've moisturized since I was a little kid and this is a habit from waiting tables. I used to always have a glass with lemons in it and it got me into lemon water, Mm. which I actually think if there's one, not a terribly prescriptive person, but one thing I always say is I start my day with a pint glass of um, room temperature water with a wedge of lemon squeezed in and you say this, you will notice a difference immediately to your skin and to your digestive system. So every morning you rise You squeeze I rise, some lemons from bed, <laughs> saunter into the kitchen. Yeah. But but it's like how I start the day with like a cup of coffee. It's the same thing. I you can't have, have my coffee before I have lemon no water. More. It's that it's that ingrained, literally. And if I've forgotten to get lemons, it's 
right you like know forgetting this. to get yeah. coffee yeah it's terrible yeah that's my one thing that i think that and do this sunblock i mean i mean that moisture going retroactively moisturizing as a (laughs) nine-year-old wait and just one last question you are wearing a beautiful moomoo captain i I feel like i'm shifting into mrs roper as like beautiful (laughs) we progress i'm like i'm getting closer to mrs roper about sans the shitty husband um i'm such a fan of i'm such a fan of comfort Mm. and I like a little glamour, like it's nice, and I think caftans is the the key, right? Because yeah. they can look flattering. You're always comfortable, and they're the best. Yeah, I'd wear a caftan. I, I think I've moved into the caftan only portion of the book tour, where this is all that or pajamas. That is a great yeah. portion to yes. be in. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, caftan only. Glennis, it was such a joy thank to you. talk it's to really you. Interesting to, yeah. to hear more about your experience well, with the book. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's now that it's been out and people are starting to read it. The responses I'm getting are, are interesting. Like it's sometimes you're like, oh, cliches exist for a reason. But I have to say, mostly I'm I hear from women my age. The fascination is the women in their 20s f- mm. to whom this seems to be resonating, mm. and it reminds me of the pressure of being in my 20s. I mean. In my 20s, I was out until five o'clock in the morning every yeah. night, like and having a lot of fun, but that was pre internet 20s. Uh, so, but in my 30s, for sure, like all the pressures of this that I see in these women's faces, and I'm like, it's shit. It's shit. There's yeah. nothing. I don't have a solution except to say, like, I recognize how hard this is. And some woman came up to me, she was in her 20s, and she said, How do I get friends like yours? Oh. And I was like, It would just made me so sad. I was like, Get rid of the ones you have because if they're making you feel bad, yeah. then that's terrible. But it was just, I. I do think plus social media makes everything so much more fraught than it even was when I was that age that I just, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like just recognizing how tough it is. And also it's really great too. Like the fact that we attach shame to age for women is when you really think about it is such bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it, I think is tied to like, I feel very powerful right now. Yeah. And what, who does that benefit me <laughs> but the idea that we've disempowered women as they age at a moment yeah. when they are really becoming the most powerful i think is not a coincidence yeah but it's mind-boggling to me when i walk into a magazine store these days and i'm like why should i feel bad about being 43 like i, I like i can't quite understand how i ever internalized yeah, no that. i'm loving yeah age. aging has been i only feel smarter and like i give less shit yeah mm-hmm. it's incredible yeah it's really incredible and, but telling people that when there's literally nothing out there to suggest that this is could be true is uh, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you guys well, for having me. This was fun. Glennis's book is No One Tells You This. You really should buy it. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you, Glennis. <laughs> thank you. Kate. Yes. Last week, your intention was, fuck it, I'll go with write every day too. Guess what, Dory? How'd that go? I didn't write a single thing. Okay. I was in the process of mourning the thing I scratched. I get it. And, but then I have come up with a new concept. I'm going to start just checking out. I love this. Uh, And you also, after we ended the podcast, kind of gave me some good advice, which was like, chill out and be nice Mm. to yourself. Yeah. It's like, okay. So yes, I didn't, I didn't actually write every day. Did you write every day, which was also your intention? I did. Every day? I, I might have missed one day. That's amazing. But I pretty much wrote every day. Oh, congratulations. Thank was it you. on the it was treatment on this, that you're... Yeah, it was on this pitch. Um, 
You know, something that Shonda said that really stuck with me. Go on. If I may. Listen, can we pause and just secret Shonda Rhimes as a guest on this podcast? A thousand Putting percent. Putting it into the universe. Consider it put. Consider it placed out there. Um, She talks about when she was writing the, I can't remember if it was the pitch or the pilot for Scandal, that it took her a year and four days. Oh my God. Which is that. And what she means by that is she met Judy Smith, who Olivia Pope is, pace, is based on, and it took her a year to actually start writing. But then when she started, she wrote it in four days. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, God, Shonda. And she realized that she had just, like, she had just been kind of thinking about it for that year and kind of doing like research in a way and thinking about her interview with Judy Smith. And, and also producing and creating and also, numerous other successful right, exactly. shows. Um, but then when it actually came time to do it, she... It, it just sort of poured out of her because she knew she'd been thinking about it for so long. And I think that like, I, I feel like motivated in a way writing this that I haven't felt in a long time. That's awesome. So have you read Shonda Rhimes's book? The year of yes. Yeah. Have you read it? No, I want to read but, it. You know, I practiced the year of yes before her book came out. Should we read it together? Maybe. Or at least like look at it. Yeah, um, I pr- I did the year of yes before. On your own. Yeah, before like the year I moved to LA. That's right. I did the year. I I did you, a year you of said yes. yes to everything. Yeah, before I before this book existed. Look again. I it's just a want great to repeat, practice. You would have a lot to talk about. Were Shonda Rhimes on this podcast? <sighs> I mean, let's do it. Oh, can you imagine? I would honestly pee my pants. I mean, hardly. I'd be so nervous. I can hardly imagine. <laughs> I can't either. But you know what? Never say never. Um, so what is your intention for this coming week? Well, here's what I wrote. I'm going to keep going with the lame writing. God, even the negative self-talk there. Great. I got to I gotta remove that. Um, I'm going to keep going with my awesome writing. Okay. Um, because I did come, I did have a little idea that popped into my head that I'm, that I'm already kind of just visualizing a lot. So I was going to try to put it onto paper. And then I um, have come on eating food that makes me feel good because mm. I've kind of been, uh, I don't like like putting negative speak on food. Like I've been eating badly. I don't like yeah. doing that, but I have been thinking about like, you know, I was telling you I was hung over yesterday because yeah. I had two glasses of rosé and uh, that didn't make me feel good. Mm. So I'm trying to thinking like what, when I put things into my body, how do I feel? Yeah. And let's, let's think about that when it comes to like making choices. I love that. Just a, just a, just a thinking about it. I I think I eat a pretty well-rounded, healthy balance. And I like to kind of prescribe to the, it's all about moderation or, you know, whatever. I had McDonald's last night. It was delicious. I hear you. So anyway, but I am trying to think about some like, uh, nutrition choices that just make me feel good. Great. Is that vague? I don't know. I'm into it. How about you? Well, my husband uh, has a sort of like random week off this week and we had been kind of hemming and hawing about going away because we did, we just took a, a nice vacation in May. We went to Hawaii um, and it sort of felt like, Oh, we just went on vacation. Like money is really tight and like maybe, and we kind of were like, should we go to the East coast and see people? And, but by the time we decided like, okay, maybe we should go like flights were so expensive and we would have to stay in a hotel for a few days. Like it just, it started to Add seem up. way too expensive. Yeah. And then Matt went to therapy a couple weeks ago and his therapist was like, and this was also right after we had found out that our round of IVF hadn't worked. Yeah. And his therapist commanded him to go on vacation. 
I want to go to that therapist. <laughs> and said, you can't visit family. Oh, that's great. And so... As visiting family is lovely, but it's not a vacation. Exactly. Um, so we decided to go to Vancouver for three nights. That sounds so dope. Which will be much more manageable than going to the East Coast. We don't have to go for as long. The Canadian dollar is very weak. I mean, that sucks right for now, our Canadian it sucks listeners. For Canadians, I'm sorry, but, but it's good for Dory. It makes things cheaper for us. It's a quick flight. The flights weren't that expensive. Um, so we decided, okay, I know, like, I know we shouldn't be really spending money right now, but this is important for us. For your marriage. For our marriage. No, um, seriously, man, that's, that's valuable. So anyway, related to that, my intention is just to have a good time. That's a perfect intention. Thank you. I hope you do. I can't wait to hear about it. Thanks. Well, <sighs> that wraps things up, doesn't it? It does. Um, listen, if you want to call us and leave us a voicemail, which we play on our mini episodes, questions, referrals, recommendations, comments, concerns, 781-591-0390. You can join our Forever 35 Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Forever 35 podcast. Password is serums. Um, also, First of all, thank you to everyone who has left us a review and Big a rating thanks. on Apple Podcasts. Wow. It, it, I, I actually do read the reviews. I, I, I can't because and I have a hard time online. Kate, I will say 99% of them are so nice. I'm very fragile, Dory. Are they, I'm, you know what? I will just send you, I'll send you some. Thanks. So you don't have to look, but I'll just send you some of the nice ones. But if you are so inclined to leave us a review we would be very grateful or even just a rating, just like click that little star rating. It does really help people find our podcast. And also a reminder that everything we talk about on the show is always on our website, forever35podcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at forever35podcast and on Twitter at forever35pod. With all that said, I just want to tell you that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Kate Spencer and Dory Shafrir and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Please leave us Apple Podcast reviews. Wait, we just said that. Yeah. I'll say it again. All right. You know, it helps people find the show. We will talk to you all next week. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>